friends, take your Bible and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We'll be in verse 14 through 21 this evening. We've been talking about an unshakable faith for the last number of weeks together. Not because it's a slogan or a trend or even just because it's a series, but because there is truth in God's Word that when we are abiding in Him, there is a foundation that is stronger than the winds that blow against us. Tonight I want us to look at how we can count on answers to prayer. And before we dive into this passage and before we walk through this teaching together, I want you to think for a second, why do you pray? I know that's kind of a Sunday school question that maybe deserves a quick Sunday school answer, but I want you to think about it. In fact, right now I want you to turn to the person to your left or your right, or in front of you or behind you. If you don't like those options and you chose your seat poorly, you need to learn from your decision tonight and do better next week. But find someone close to you and ask them this question, and, and I really want you to respond. I know it seems simplistic and, and just kind of easy, but, but why do you pray? Take 36 and a half seconds to discuss that amongst yourself. On your marks, get set, go. Why do you pray? Go ahead and switch and hear what the other person has to say. Very good. Now, I'd like to hear a few of the responses. Now, we'll let it remain anonymous. You may be sharing yours or you may be sharing your friends. We'll never know. But why... Do you or did your friend say that they pray? Just shout it out at me. Why do you pray? You enjoy talking to the Lord. Somebody else over here. You know he answers prayer. Somebody else. Why do you pray? To keep you on track. Back here. Change is on its way. God understands. Communication. God is totally competent. You can tell Him anything. Anybody else? One more time. Because we need to. That's a good reason. To, to get to know Him better. <laughs> Someone in their group said they had to repent a lot. Very good. Very good. You know, it's interesting as we think about the answer to the question, why do you or why do I pray? Those of us who have been around the church for a while, it, it almost is a question that is so simplistic it almost can stump us. Because that's what we do. Because that's how I was raised. Because I don't want to choke on my food. There, there's lots of reasons why we pray. You've listed some of the very best of them. But let's look at not just our ideas, but maybe what God's Word has to say. According to a Gallup poll, the general public was asked, Do you ever pray to God? 
88% of the people polled responded, yes, that's pretty high. When asked how often, over 50% of them said more than once a week, not counting mealtimes and church services. When I read this, I thought that cannot be true. But that's what this survey shared. So evidently, there is an acknowledgement of God's presence among Americans. And in fact, a regular affirmation of his presence by a majority. But is this really praying? In God's word, whenever people pray, something happens. As Pastor Edgar shared, change is on its way, is why he prayed. Their prayers were answered. The reality today is that although the majority of believers pray, there is many in our world who are not true believers, they also pray, and their understanding of prayer is more self-centered than it is God-centered. In fact, I want to suggest tonight that there's even those among the ranks of the believers who their prayer is more self-centered than God-centered. For most Americans, prayer is nothing more than projecting to God our own self-talk. It's, it's a positive thinking. It's, it's, it's a wish list that we throw up. Positive thinking or psychological manipulation. But the Bible repeatedly reminds us that there is a way to pray that unleashes the very power of God. The power of God that changes situations. And tonight, as I shared, I want to talk about how we can count, you can bank, you could put your feet on the foundation of answers to prayer. In fact, I would go as far to say that prayer is the key to ensuring an unshakable future. The future is bright for those who are dialed in to God and to the frequency to God through efficient and effective prayer. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us again tonight how it is we are to pray from His Word. Now, just for fun, how many don't need God to teach you any more about prayer? You just, you know enough. You got enough. Anybody? I figure that nobody would be brash enough to raise their hand. But... Isn't it true that sometimes we kind of think in these lines? Or we at least act like we are in those lines? Oh, this is an elementary topic. This is something that I, I've heard years ago, or, or I've got this down, but could it possibly be that God wants to prepare us for maybe some times where the world is going to be shaking quite a bit and give us a deeper foundation in prayer? Let's turn to First John as we've been listening to Pastor John the last few weeks, answer some important questions tonight on the topic of prayer. The first question that he can address through this text is, why pray? The very question we ask ourselves. Is prayer simply a psychological placebo to make us feel better? I remember going to a doctor one time and there was a new asthma drug and they offered for me to be a part of that study to take that drug and they said, now you won't know if you have the real thing or not. Boy, that messed with my head. I thought I felt better, but then I thought maybe I'm thinking that I feel better and I maybe not be really feeling much better at all. I don't know if you've ever been a part of some trickery like that that they call science or medicine. But sometimes, if we're really gut level honest, we can think about prayer in the terms of some kind of placebo effect. I, I, I know I'm supposed to say it changes things, but is it just making me feel better or does prayer actually do something? Why is the Bible so insistent 
that we pray? Pastor John gives us the answer in verse 14 of 1 John chapter 5. And we can be confident that He, God, will listen to us. Somebody over here, that was your answer. I pray because God listens. I pray for communication to God. That is reason enough right there for us to pray. If there was no other reason, that is enough that God actually listens when we pray. First and foremost, the reason for praying is to communicate with our Creator. God is actively involved in the affairs of every man and every woman who walks the earth. And He longs to be in communication with us. In Isaiah, he reminds his people in Isaiah 65, 24, Before you call, I will answer. While you are still speaking, I will hear. So prayer is not this monologue. It's a dialogue. It's communicating with God, the very God of the universe. But this fact begs the question, if prayer is simply agreeing with God's will, why should we pray? What is the use of praying? God is all-powerful and all-knowing, why should He want us to pray before He acts? Since He already knows, why should I even ask? As Jim was talking about his days at Olivet, my mind went to the fourth floor of Burke, where I stood in a theology class and I was grappling with some concepts of who God is for possibly the first time in my own mental ability, and and I came to a, a conclusion that frustrated me. If God is God and I am not God, and God is not twisted by any manipulation that I may throw at Him, when He asks me to pray, what good is it for me to pray? When He asks me to pray for His will to be done, what good is it for me to pray if I'm only praying what it is that He wants to have done? Why does He need me to pray? And we're going to unpack that a little bit together. Understanding that we pray because He listens. We pray because He speaks and He answers to us. I don't know that I have the full answer to that question in its entirety, but there's enough answers He's given to me that have been very sufficient in my life. James reminds us that we pray because we receive. God has chosen to do it this way. He doesn't have to, but I'm not quite sure why He would choose to do it. If I was God, I definitely wouldn't do it this way, but thank goodness I'm not God and He is. James tells us you do not have because you do not act. The fact that God has chosen to work out His will through our prayers is beyond me, but it is a fact that we can bank on. John Wesley observes, God does nothing except an answer to prayer. He does nothing except an answer to prayer. What He could do perfectly without our help, God has insisted that He is inviting us to partner with Him to bring about His heavenly realm here on earth. He invites us to come into His work. Your prayers and mine are a necessity to accomplish His purpose on earth. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for my life. But we will only realize that purpose through developing a heart of prayer. That's also why Satan is so hard at work keeping us from praying. He knows that it is the key to unleashing the power and the purpose that God has for our life. 
And if he can't get you to turn your back on God in willful disobedience, the next best strategy, he's to get you to be so busy doing things for God, in ministry doing things for God, that pretty soon you don't have any time to be with God. If prayer is more than just logging our spiritual time card and getting a stamp to build up some kind of credits in heaven, if it's actually listening and talking to God, of communicating with God, of, of being with Him, Satan hates it when we spend time with God. If prayer is just some kind of ritual we run through, then my guess is he's not too worried if we pray. But if prayer is actual communion and communication with God, he hates every aspect of it. When we begin to work for God or minister for God without prayer, that is a perfect recipe for burnout. Just try doing things for God without spending time with God, and quickly you will see that there is anything but joy in that life. One author observes, Satan laughs at your toil, mocks at your wisdom, and trembles when you pray. You know, it's a pet peeve of mine to hear Christians, I think well-meaning Christians, talk about fighting Satan, or they just give Satan a black eye, or they just go after Satan. I think I understand what they mean, but we need to make sure we understand that you and I are no match for Satan. You have no ability to fight Satan in and of yourself. You and I are no match for Satan. In fact, if if we would see his authority and his power and in and of ourself, our strength, we would be in big trouble and we would have reason to to fear. But I think I know the heart of those friends who share that. When we speak of, of fighting Satan or doing battle with Satan, it should be and only appropriate when we talk about doing it from the position of waging war in prayer and fighting through the strength of God. But with that misunderstanding that we think we're some match for Satan, there's also this misunderstanding that somehow God and Satan are equal. This is not the picture that Scripture gives us. If, if there's some kind of hierarchy, organizational chart, it's not God and Satan. It's God and Satan and, and Michael the archangel. And so the authority we have is not in ourself, but it is in God. And Satan is no match for God. And so when we wage war in prayer, it is reminding Satan that we are God's kids and the authority that we speak and the authority that we live and the power we live by is not by our own, but is by the very power of God. He trembles when we pray because he's aware that we're tapping into the power source that is a great threat to him. Why? Because prayer exposes the vile purposes that Satan has for what they are. Prayer brings clarity of vision, brings discernment. Prayer unleashes this Powerful discernment of God in our life. Why pray? Because God promises to hear and to work through prayers of those who align their will with His. And that leads to the second question I want us to look at. What should we pray for? What to pray? Pastor John says in verse 14, anything according to His will. That is... What separates effective and ineffective praying is found in verse 15. And if we know He is listening when we make our request, we can be sure that He will give us what we ask for. 
Now, if you don't understand that in the context of verse 14, it can lead you astray. Anything according to his will. You may be tempted to say, well, this is just a license for me to ask God for all of my wants and greeds, not just needs. Most of our prayers in our culture, my hunch is of all those 80-some percent who say they pray, it's probably more like what happens at the mall at Christmas time when we stand in line to see Santa or one of Santa's representatives and we ask this question, what do you want, when the question is asked to us, what do you want for Christmas? As a kid says what they want or an adult would think of that and then maybe some disappointment comes, and then the child or the adult says, well, I never believed in Santa. This idea that God is some celestial Santa Claus or some cosmic vending machine that we press the buttons of what we desire to come out and we pay the slot to get what it is that we hope to have is a great misunderstanding of what God has given to us in this unshakable foundation in prayer. If anything, we need to climb up onto His lap and we need to ask Him, what is it that you want from us this Christmas? What is it that you desire in your will this Christmas? Then join Him in that. Yes, God's Word proclaims in James 4, 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask. But if we read on, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Asking with selfish motives is not prayer. It's wishful presumption. It's also, by the way, it's, it's very ineffective. I believe that a lot of people are discouraged in their prayer life because they're not praying. They're wishing, they're hoping. They feel beaten up by the enemy because they feel like prayer is not working or God doesn't hear them or there are no answers to their prayer. But the question is, are they really praying the way Scripture calls for us to pray? Or are they just reciting what it is they have thought or what they want to God? Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a place for us to share all of our innermost thoughts with God. Anything we care about, He cares about. And it's appropriate to tell our Heavenly Father. But when we move into aspects of deeper prayer, it's not so much about me, but it's a whole lot more about Him. Prayer is learning His will and then speaking that back to Him. Effective prayer focuses not on my need, but on His will. Jesus Himself modeled this in His own prayer life. Remember in the garden, in agony, Humbly, shrinking from the cross, he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. In other words, he's saying, Father, if there's any other way to accomplish your will other than the cross, would you let this pass and, and let's take plan B. But his very important model prayer for us, he came back with nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I, I'm not quite sure why there's a camp of people in our culture today in the church, the broader community of Christ, that I believe are uninformed and they think that praying this prayer of Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, is, is weak or it's a lack of faith or it's a cop out or it's trying to back out and not praying with authority and I would suggest it's quite the contrary there is nothing more powerful than aligning our will with God's will there are some who would say 
You don't need to say, well, Lord, if it's your will. I think I understand their heart that when we are in agreement with the things that God wants, we can speak with authority, but we need to be careful that it's not authority in and of ourselves, but it's only authority as we are praying, as we are wanting, as we are hoping to see His desire done in our life. See, we begin to pray what Jesus prays when we have that attitude. To pray that kind of prayer requires dying to ourself. My selfish desires, the resisting the temptation to pray in the flesh, is something that takes us deeper in Him. See, God's goal in prayer is not just to answer my requests, though He does answer our requests. It's to make me and to make you more like Christ. A final question that John addresses is, for whom should I pray? For whom to pray for? He answers this question in verse 16. If you see any Christian sinning, you should pray and God will give that person life. We should pray for our fellow Christians who are falling into an aspect of disobedience or living a life not wanting to reflect God's holiness in every area. God wants us to pray First, not for the world, not for the sinner in the world, but to pray for a brother or sister. I think I've shared with you before, I'm hard-pressed to find more than two, maybe two and a half scriptures that command us in scripture to pray for the conversion of sinners. If you find more than two or two and a half, come show me, I want to find it. But I can find more than two, maybe two and a half, depending on how you read it, that calls for us to pray for the conversion of sinners. So we shouldn't pray for sinners? Well, of course we should. But the Bible is full of calls for us to pray for one another. Why? Because we are more important than the world knows. We talked about it this morning. Part of God's plan is when His community, His family, begins to live for Him the way He has called us to live. There is an attractive evangelistic quality in our life and the aroma of our obedience and so we are to pray for one another because when Pete and when Paul and when Carrie and when Brent and when Rex and with Brady and when Caden begin to live the way that God has called us to live it has a tremendous impact on the world and I would argue God would even feel a greater impact than than just us praying for the conversion of someone else It's very biblical to pray for someone else, but it is extra biblical. It is of high priority for us to pray for one another. You see, when the church gets cleaned up, when the church quits hiding the secret sin, when the church quits living in hypocrisy, then God can use us to reach a lost world. He's challenging us to get out of our little holiness huddles and get into the lives of people who need Jesus by demonstrating the freedom He's given to us. But in order to be empowered to do that, we've got to forsake our sin in our lives. We must ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse us so we can reflect His love. Unconfessed sin keeps us from knowing God's will. Unconfessed sin blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see... When we begin to seek His direction to stop sinning, it has a great impact on how we pray. 
See, when we live in disobedience to God, it also stops prayer. And jot this down. Sinning stops praying. And in praying stops sinning. When I really begin to pray and I really begin to press in and communicate with God, it has an impact on my desire, on the appetite for the things of the world. One of my prayers for you and one of the prayers I hope you pray for me is that God would take away any enticing lure that Satan may throw at us to be disobedient to him. If you are praying for someone who is far from God, someone who is in the world, pray that sin in any enticement is spoiled. That the temporary joy they may experience, let it run out and let them be miserable. Not because you want to speak a curse on them, but because you want them to embrace the hope of life that only comes in Christ. Why pray? Because He hears us and has chosen to work out His will through us in the world. What should we pray for? Not our will, but His. Sin and pride and selfishness have to go for us to truly, authentically pray for His will to be done. For whom should we pray? We are to pray for each other. Pray for a sensitivity to avoid even the very appearance of evil, that we would not look towards sin of any kind. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it will be given to you. This is Pastor John's simple yet profound instructions to us on prayer. So I ask the question again, why do you and I pray? We want to hear from God. We want to see change take place. I want us now to think about not why we pray, but how you pray. If you're a person who likes to take notes, I want to encourage you right now to find a space on the sheet of paper. I don't think I left any there for you, but maybe you can turn it over right on your neighbor's hand if you run out of space. That's okay, I guess. The back is open. Thank you, Paul. You can write there. I want you to write down what is your current pattern of prayer. Now, you're not going to turn into me, and I'm not going to have you give a report to everybody else like I just had you do. This is just for you, between you and the Lord. But jot down what is your current pattern of prayer. Pray before I eat. Okay, this is good. I pray before I go to bed. This is good as well. But what does a pattern of prayer look like for you? I'm not suggesting that there's only one pattern. I'm not suggesting that you have to pray like your neighbor, but I'm asking you, how do you put this passage of Scripture into practice, what has been your pattern, and we're going to spend some time asking God to inspire us, to call us, to give us a hunger to pray even more so we can get more in our account in heaven and we can punch our spiritual time card. No. So he can take us into the deeper things of him. And so that when the storms are coming, there can be an unshakable faith because we know that we know our God is speaking to us. We know that we know our God is calling us to join Him in His activity in the world around us. And each and every time we pray, it begins to change things. And you and I are one of those things. As we were experiencing the celebration of life service for Tracy yesterday, And Pastor Rex reminded us in his message that when we begin to pray for people, they 
they get a piece of your heart. As you write down your pattern of prayer, who, who is it that you are currently praying for? Heavenly Father, as we take just a moment to pause, I ask that you would remove Satan's attempt to bring shame in the room right now. And in unsupported guilt, illegitimate guilt, Father, would you banish it from this room at this moment? Because my intent, and Father, I know your intent right now, is not to get us to feel bad about ourselves or to feel down on ourselves, but you are inviting us to join you in, in deeper levels of prayer. So would you begin to highlight the truth that only you and only my friends know about their own life? Only you and I know about my life of what our current pattern of prayer is. Would you begin to call us to new ways and new places and new passions for prayer? Amen. As you've taken a moment to maybe jot down a line or two or a thought or two, or you say, I'm not going to do that. Maybe you've thought in your mind of what your pattern of prayer is. I want to now open up a door of great opportunity for you. I want you now to think about what prayer could look like for you. This last year, God brought me a freeing gift that I never ever thought I would see as freeing. I don't know where I picked it up, but somewhere I felt like praying a list every single day was restrictive. I somewhere picked up the idea that praying through a prayer list was elementary. Somewhere I felt like praying through a list could could stifle the freedom of the Spirit. And through a teaching of another pastor, God began to open up a passion in my heart for another, I would even suggest for me at least, a deeper level of prayer. And the freedom came that when I begin to pray through this list that God has impressed on my heart, whenever the Holy Spirit takes my mind away from the list, then I pray about what it is He put on my mind. And the hang-up that I had was, well, if I pray through a list, then I'll never get to those Divine appointments of the Holy Spirit breathing fresh words to me. And, and that's what I want in prayer. And so I would abandon all lists. And here's what would happen. I gave great real estate to the enemy in my mind for distraction. Does this ever happen to you or maybe I'm the only one? When you begin to pray in the morning or at night or when you begin to pray at work or when you begin to pray throughout the day. I've talked to a number of you that your pattern is you just pray in, in moments of whispering to God throughout the day. When you begin to zero in in prayer, isn't that when you remember that you left the dishes in the sink and they are getting crusty? Isn't that when you remember that you left the spoon in the garbage disposal and you hope that nobody flips the switch because it's one more spoon that's going to be wrecked? And then the whole set's messed up. That's what happens in my house. I do that. And when you begin to pray, isn't that when you remember the email that you should have replied to that you haven't gotten to yet? Or you begin to think about the, the great weight of, of a burden in a relationship at home. And, and I don't think it's any accident. You hadn't thought about that all day long until you began to pray. You see, the enemy wants to plant those things in your mind, but God can flip it upside down. And when you begin to pray through a list to at least jumpstart your prayer time, it can be helpful to you. 
another aspect of prayer you could possibly contemplate. What if I would pray through passages of Scripture? How many have ever practiced that before? I know some of you have. Raise your hands high. Keep them up. Be proud. This is okay. This is a good thing. Keep, keep them up. Keep them up. I know we're tired. If, if you've never prayed through a passage of the Scripture, find somebody who's got their hand up and, and ask them, what does that look like? See, here's the cool thing. This is not, you can put your hands down, thing. This is not some kind of hocus-pocus thing. I've got to do it just like Brady, or I've got to do it just like Paul, or I've got to do it just like Terry, I've got to do it just like someone else. This is an aspect where, where we can begin to see the uniqueness that God gives to us in prayer. The goal is to pray His will, not ours. The goal is for us to lift up one another in prayer. The goal is for us to live in constant communication with God. The reminder for us tonight is not that we've never ever heard of any teaching about why we should pray. The reminder to us tonight is that we don't just pray out of habit. We don't just pray out of tradition. We don't just pray because we think it's a good witness for someone else. It can be and it should be the very life source of hearing from our dad. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends tonight and their attention. Their attention not only now, but all day long. And Lord, I sense from their heart, their attention is not for me. Their attention is for you. And so God, I pray that you'll stir up in us again an appetite. As we've taken a couple notes on what our current pattern of prayer is, Lord, I welcome right now for you to catapult us forward. For some of us here tonight, I believe that you're going to give us the rigor and the discipline to pray through a list. Maybe it's a list of individuals who are on our heart. Maybe it's a list of scriptures that we're going to pray through. Maybe it's a list of an acronym that reminds us of how to put you first and how to praise you and how to thank you and, and how to surrender our heart before you. God, for others, maybe you want to call us to times of meditation. As we sang this morning, we're we can just be still and know that you are God. Where we can be quiet before you. And allow the world to be drowned out in the silence of your greatness. Your wisdom. Your love and your grace. God, I thank you that as we ask for these things, we don't have to wonder if this is some kind of Christmas list wish that you may or may not answer. For we know that your word calls us to pray and it is your desire for us as your kids to pray and to pray more and to pray without ceasing. So it's with great confidence that we ask tonight, believing that we will receive, take us deeper in prayer that we may have an unshakable foundation in you. And God, would you start in this room in exchange of one heart to another? As we begin to pray for each other and pray that the invitation to sin would, would not take hold in each other's lives, would we begin to have a deeper love for one another? Not out of our own charity or even our own compassion, but out of your love for the person that we're praying for. 
We ask these things, Jesus, in the power of your name. We confess, in and of ourselves, we have no power. It's in our weakness that we are made strong because you can shine through. From that position, from that attitude, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen and amen.